Stephen Henderson. Today on the podcast, we'll talk about all the news coming from the UAW strike here in Detroit and around the country and the Republican presidential debate that took place in California yesterday. Wendy Schiller, who is a political science professor at Brown University, will join to talk about the politics of all of this. And we'll be joined by Stephen Greenhouse, a senior fellow at the Century Foundation, who will talk to us about the labor side. In both conversations, we talk about the overlap between the labor issues here and the politics, which will only intensify as we get closer to the 2024 political season. I'm somebody who is already annoyed that we're at this point. I think uh, we are months and months from the first primaries uh, to decide who's going to challenge to be president in 2024. Uh, I, I don't know that we get any great information by holding debates this early. Uh, this is more of a show and kind of a circus than it is an instructive exercise, but there's no way to put the cat back in the bag uh, in that regard. And so there are going to be lots of these debates uh, as we get closer to 2024. To discuss what we saw last night in California on the stage with seven Republican candidates, we've got Wendy Schiller here. She is a professor and chair of political science and a professor of international and public affairs at Brown University. Professor Schiller, welcome back to Detroit Today. My pleasure to be here. So I, I want to start with uh, Donald Trump not being there last night. Uh, but before I do, I want to hear uh, a clip of former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who called out the former president on his absence. I want to look at a camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching, okay? And you're not here tonight, not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on this stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. So there's a, a long history of the relationship between Chris Christie and Donald Trump. It is on again, off again. It's certainly going to be off again as they both vie to get the the nomination next year. But let's talk about what it meant for Trump, who is the current Republican presidential primary frontrunner, to not be at the debate last night, but instead have been here at an auto supplier in Clinton Township in Macomb County here in Michigan. Uh, how strange is this to be happening right now in our politics? Well, and the word strange has really you know, taken on new meanings in the last <laughs> you know, six, seven, eight years of American political life. Um, so, uh, you know, Trump, People who um, either really like Trump or really don't like Trump. Uh, the thing about Trump is when he senses an opportunity, he takes it. He doesn't think he's going to be um, strengthened by being on the stage and subject to attack from his uh, candidate, fellow candidates for the GOP nomination. So he's taking a rose garden, literally a rose garden incumbent strategy by acting like he should be the incumbent, saying the election was stolen and really saying, I don't need to debate these people. Like I'm way ahead. I'm clearly going to be the nominee. And so far it's working for him. You know, the visit to Michigan is a little strange given that the head of the UAW has said repeatedly that 
Um, he's not supportive of Trump. Uh, and I think even with strained relations, labor is still closer to the Democrats than the Republicans. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a little bit odd, but it shows that Trump is willing to take it to the Democrats in their own backyard, so to speak. Democrats did very well. I'm, I'm telling you, you already know, in 2022 in Michigan. And I think Trump is saying, I'm going to take the fight wherever I need to go and talk to whomever I need to talk to and really project that he has a chance not just to win the nomination, but to win the general. Because that's what uh, the fellow Republicans have been saying, that, you know, he's toxic, he's a liability. And that's what they said on the stage last night. Mm -hmm. He can't win, you know, so we can't nominate him. But uh, Trump is taking the opposite approach, saying, yes, I can. I can win. And I'm willing to go take that fight anywhere I need to go. Yeah. So I, I also thought it was interesting from, I guess, a general election perspective, kind of casting forward, that Donald Trump announced very early that he would skip this debate, early last week, that he would skip this debate and come to Michigan instead. And then we heard that President Biden was going to come. It wasn't that the president stepped out front and said, hey, I'm going to be there with workers and that Trump followed suit. It, it was the opposite. And I think, again, to your point, there is there is a threat that Donald Trump uh, can and and will try to pose to whoever uh, you know to to to, to Democrats um, next year if he's the if he's the nominee uh, with with their base. Uh, there's no question that going to Macomb County, which is the home of the Reagan Democrat, that's where that term was coined back in the 1980s. Uh, I mean, he, he was hitting right at the core of, I guess, what you would say is democratic vulnerability or what Democrats believe uh, they could be vulnerable uh, for. And and that sequencing of of deciding to come here to Detroit to support the, the workers, I think really, really betrayed that. Uh, it was it was a, it was an instance of I think Trump showing a little strength uh, in his contest with with Joe Biden. Well, you know, I I, I think you're pointing out something that's you know uh, a, a worry for the Biden and the Democratic camp, which is Trump's appeal uh, to labor. You know, people who comprise labor more mostly um, men in labor than women at the moment, just based on voting patterns in the last six years. Uh, but generally speaking, he has uh, an innate appeal. And we've seen that in his victory, albeit you know a pretty slight victory, but a victory nonetheless in 2016 over Hillary Clinton in Michigan. So I think you're absolutely right that this prompted Biden to come to Michigan and to get on the picket line and really express his support. And he didn't say exactly the whole terms that UAW wants, but he said you should make more money uh, per hour. And so I think you're right that it pushed Biden there. You know, there are risks for both of them, much more so for Biden, I think, right now, because he can't really take a huge side in the negotiations. Although, you know, it's certainly true that the administration, the Biden administration has intervened in potential labor situations um, in the past couple of years and settled strikes or tried to settle them. So if it goes too long, causes too much economic damage, he will have to take a bigger role, which again is a risk for him if both sides end up being ha unhappy, particularly labor. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you say you feel like the president hasn't gone hard for the UAW here in, in Michigan. And I guess I read that differently. I mean, just showing up 
is a huge thing, but but also showing up at, at the picket line, which you know everyone who reported on it said that we have no parallel in in modern presidential history a president actually showing up to be with workers during a strike. Uh, do do you do you feel like he's left enough space? I guess uh, to to try to help negotiate a deal if this goes for a long time, or has he made it clear he's on one side and not? particularly fond of the other. I, I, I don't think that he is willing to alienate, you know, the big three and and all of the associated industries and small business owners that are are, you know, involved in the in the manufacture of automobiles in America. I mean, I just don't think he's willing to go that far because as you said, it removes his capacity or his Secretary of Labor's capacity to go in and really try to resolve the the the, the problems if it goes too long. Um, so I think it tried he tried, I'm not sure he succeeded. He tried to sort of remind voters that there's one president and one party that is on the side of labor always always wants, you know, higher minimum wages, for example, higher wages, health care, um, you know, safe working conditions, regulating industry, you know, keeping j- jobs in America, not not outsourcing them. And that's what he's trying to do there, right, is to say we are always a better friend to you than the Republican Party and certainly Donald Trump. And Donald Trump's risk is that he likes to separate himself from the other members of the Republican Party, namely people running for Congress and state legislatures. But the Republican Party has a fairly strong anti-labor platform, deregulation, you know, no no minimum wage or low minimum wage, we can go on and on. So because of that, Trump has to figure out, am I going to cut the Republicans loose that are running for Congress? In other words, do I do I try to win this thing just being Donald Trump and less being Republican Donald Trump in Michigan? Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with uh, Wendy Schiller. She is a professor and chair of political science and a professor of international and public affairs at Brown University. We're talking about last night's Republican presidential debate in California. Uh, Seven Republicans on stage, all who say they would love to be president of the United States after next year's uh, elections. They talked about a wide range of issues, but they also talked about the absence of the frontrunner in that current contest, Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, who instead of being at the debate was here in Michigan, in Clinton Township, with workers said he was lending his support to workers uh, as they strike the Detroit Three automakers. Uh, We would love to hear from you during the conversation as well. We're talking about this as well as the strike itself, now 14 days old uh, here in in Michigan and at some plants around the country. We would love to hear from members of the UAW about how they're feeling 14 days in, how optimistic you might be or maybe pessimistic about how things are going. Uh, Also, what you think the likely end of this looks like. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the program that way. We, of course, also want to hear from folks who just want to talk about the debate last night. Did you watch the debate? Are you watching the debates? Uh, Are you that engaged in the presidential contest at this point? We are 14 months away from the next uh, presidential election, although primaries will start much sooner than that. Still, it seems a little early, I think, uh, to be this focused on presidential politics, but that's the way things go uh, 
these days. Call and tell us what you make of this field and what you heard from the folks last night. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number, and you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, Okay, uh, Wendy, I want to talk about what we saw last night. Uh, We had Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, and Doug Burgum on the stage last night. Uh, Who stood out to you, and for what reasons? Well, I'm going to give most improved award to Tim Scott from South Carolina, who I thought woefully underperformed in the first debate, Hmm. but really came out swinging uh, on a lot of different dimensions. He really took on Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, head on standing right next to him on the debate stage, but really took him on and then went after Nikki Haley. And I think Nikki Haley and Tim Scott see themselves as the people who can emerge from these uh, this vast list of candidates right now as anything close to viable in terms of challenging Donald Trump. So they see each other. That's the signal you should take from that debate. What do they see? Hmm. Who do they see as their biggest competitors? And I think that really stood out to me. And they they weren't really you know hitting on Ron DeSantis all that much, a little bit. Tim Scott took him on too. But I think most improved goes to him. Nikki Haley held her own. I, I think they all decided to drown out Vivek. I mean, you could tell they just started talking as soon as he started talking. So I think he did not have a strong night. Um, And Chris Christie continues to be the sort of drum roll against Trump, which will only get him so far. I mean, I'm not sure what his goals are. I don't think he can win the nomination with that with that. But he is continuing to try to undermine Trump and put everybody else on the stage in the position of either going after Trump, which they did a little bit more, particularly Ron DeSantis, or, you know, laying back. And I think that's been Christie's role here. Um, in these two debates. Yeah. Uh, If you think of who among that seven has the most chance, I guess, to to really challenge Donald Trump, who, according to the polls, still has a real command, I think, over the Republican base, uh, who last night suggested that, uh, that they would be the strongest? You know, it, it depends on which audience of the Republican Party you're thinking about. I still think, uh, given his improved performance last night, Tim Scott has, you know, made really uh, strong inroads with the evangelical base. Uh, that's a really core base in the Republican Party and primary voting. Mm-hmm. And they have been loyal to Trump, but they have qualms, according to some polling now, about Trump. And I think it depends on what unfolds with Trump's businesses, Trump's indictments. But I think he's still positioned um, to sort of rise the ranks. And we're going to be looking at donor activity, right? So we have a new donor contribution period after September 30th. We have the last quarter uh, of the year. And I'm looking at where is the donor money going? Because some these people have to survive till January, till we have the first voting for this nomination. And that's in January. Will they be able to raise enough money to stay in this race? And I think with stronger debate performances, that's why they're really there. That's what they're trying to do is reassure um, donors that they already have and attract new donors so they can stay in the contest mm-hmm. against Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Let's start today with Mike and Wayne. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, sure. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, excellent. We love that. Um. My two cents, um, and this is someone that is not a Donald Trump supporter, didn't vote for him either time, won't again. Um, I wanted to call out that I think that his decision to come here was extremely wise and that he's really disrupted the long tradition that anyone in a union just votes blue. I, I think a large party won in 2016 because his primary demographic of 
white men that are uneducated, many of which are union guys, um, would out of almost habit, routine, or policy vote Democrat. Mm. He was able to swing them to his side. And I think that it was an excellent decision to come because if he can start swinging more union voters back to him, mm. he'll have a very real chance of winning in 2024. And again, this is not a Trump supporter, but <laughs> I think an excellent political move from him and uh, someone that sees a very real danger of him getting reelected. Hmm. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate the call and uh, and that observation. I think I, I absolutely uh, agree. Uh, Wendy Schiller, I, I, I want to talk just a little about the fine line there, though, that, that Donald Trump is walking here. And, and I guess he's doing it pretty well. This is someone whose policies were were brutal on the the middle class and the working class. I mean, there were a lot of explicit anti-labor actions that uh, his administration took. And even in his visit to Michigan yesterday, you know, he spent a lot of time with workers who aren't part of unions and took some shots, in fact, at the unions while he was here. But he's still saying, look, I'm for the workers. I'm for uh, the people who uh, who earn you know uh, uh, wages in that in that economic tier, uh, it, it's a very interesting uh, approach. And and as Mike says, he's gotten really good at it. I mean, people seem to brush over those fine distinctions often when they're talking about him and labor. I, I think he's raising a really good point, uh, but I think he was good at it in 2016. I'm not positive he was good at in 2020, Mm. not just because he lost Michigan by a much bigger margin than he won it in 2016, but his messaging, his Trump selected candidates for Senate in 2022 were terrible for labor and they almost all lost. So I just don't know how much ground he can make up. And again, he would have to distinctly separate himself from the Republican Party that is about to shut down the federal government. And there is a federal union of employees that work for the federal government. You know, there are unionized people there in the federal government that will not get paid, that will be put on furlough. So when you think about that, if you're thinking about the working people, he again has to separate from the institutionalized Republican Party in Washington right now. And I just don't know how he does that to mobilize. I I do think, uh, I, I don't like to call people uneducated or educated. You know, I just think that people have either some formal schooling in terms sure. of college or not. But I think people are uh, people in every class, particularly uh, people who don't have a college degree, are far more politically motivated uh, by Donald Trump. I mean, he brought them in in 2016 in much bigger numbers to vote. And I think they've stayed voting. So I do think that is a lurking threat to the Democratic um, party and particularly for for um, people who are in particular uh, jobs that don't require any kind of advanced degree. So I, I think the caller is instinctively right. I just think that macro politics, particularly of the Republican Party, make it hard for Trump to run on that message consistently in 24. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We are going to keep Wendy Schiller for just a little more of the show to talk about the presidential debates in California yesterday. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. We're talking right now with Wendy Scheller, a professor and chair 
of the Political Science Department at Brown University. She's also a professor of international and public affairs at Brown. We're talking right now about the Republican presidential debates yesterday in California. Seven candidates on stage who say they would like to be the president of the United States after next year's elections. We're talking about what they said, uh, who stood out, and the absence during that debate of Donald Trump, the former president of the United States who says he'd like to be president again. He was instead here in Michigan, in Clinton Township in Macomb County, talking with workers. He uh, followed President Biden, who was also here this week, uh, who was talking with workers who are involved in the UAW strike of the Detroit Three auto, mar- auto Workers. We're talking a lot today about the overlap of these two things, the intensifying of the strike against the automakers, but also the acceleration of the attention on presidential politics. Uh, we are 14 months from the next election, but we are already well into what, what I would say is campaign season uh, with candidates on stage saying, why they should be elected. We want to hear from you as well during the conversation. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Let's go back to the phones here and talk with Nicole in Detroit, who was at the Trump event in Clinton Township yesterday. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Good morning. Yeah, Yeah, I was there um, uh, with the civil rights organization, BAM, to let Trump know and anybody who's considering, you know, joining his racist, pro-fascist movement, um, that we're not going to tolerate that. We will shut him down wherever he goes. And it's I think, you know, workers are smart. Most workers can see that he is absolutely no friend of labor. Um, If he were to realize, you know, he's not just another um, anti-labor right-wing politician either. He's a clear and present danger to um, the future of democracy in this country. He's, and most workers will, can draw the conclusion by the fact that, one, he was at a non-union shop yesterday. He's not here to support unions. He sounded pretty desperate, begging over and over again for the endorsement, which I would say to um, all union workers, put pressure on your leadership to not endorse a candidate from any party, remain independent. That is where the power and organized labor is. And the fact that Trump and Biden both had to come here this week says everything about the strength of the strike and the union and how much there is to win for our side. Uh, so, so, Nicole, I wonder if you had a chance while you were there to talk to any of the people who showed up just to hear what Trump had to say or maybe because they supported him and and whether you could g- gain any insight from that i guess about about the appeal i mean the things that you're talking about in terms of his anti-labor I, policies i can tell you yeah. by the things that they were saying the bigoted anti-gay anti-asian a physical attack on one of my black trans co-leaders that was there that there's no having conversations there's no normalizing civil discussion they were there they're there because they are following Trump's call to attack, and we are not tolerating that. Yeah. So, so, no, there is no kind of conversation with that. So, you, you, your message is that yeah, this, this can, this, his movement needs to be stopped yeah. for the future of our nation. So, you actually had, had you actually had, had conflict with the people who were who were there and in the sense that they were, as you say, attacking you and, and the people you were with. 
Is that right, Nicole? Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. that's that's who they are. So yeah. we were, I think we, you know, we were there very strong. We actually, you know, they were frustrated that they couldn't, you know, try to, um, they tried and tried, but yeah. couldn't get to us, you know, because we yeah. are, we are strong and what we're standing for. And we stood together yeah. and we defended ourselves and we're going to continue, you know, to defend. Nicole, right. yeah. Nicole, I, yeah. I, I really appreciate the call and, and the insight. I love the, the first person perspective uh, there. Uh, let's go next to Sam in Detroit. Sam, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, uh, Steve, and good morning to your guests. Thank you for taking me. I'm g- going to be brief. Uh, two things stood with me yesterday. Number one, there were like some of the shining spots for Nikki Haley. She came a long way better than the uh, first debate. Secondly, all of them were, like, except Chris, the former governor of New Jersey, all of them uh, wanted to keep a slight door open, might be considered if Trump won the nomination to be his uh, running mate as a vice president. This is why they were very conservative, especially Swami Mm. was a representative for Trump. He was, like, educating and advocating for him about everything that Trump did wrong. Hmm. Secondly, and the second perspective from the point of the Middle Eastern community, since I am a Middle Eastern descendant, mm-hmm. uh, foreign policy is an important thing, and discrimination is another important topic. Trump came to Macomb, and actually I live in Macomb too. Uh, Trump came to Macomb and trying to keep himself under the spotlight. He cannot live outside the spotlight. And he wants to stay like this for a long time. Middle Eastern community are aware of Trump is prejudiced and he is against them definitely 100%. And he's not going to win Macomb again by all means. And the last thing I want to conclude with, Trump, unfortunately, was able to hijack the, the Republican Party. And I'm asking every Republican, are you okay with someone get indicted for 92 accusations plus one clear court decision of New York yesterday of deceiving and expedite, yeah, like a bigger uh, uh, evaluation for his wealth without reality and base, please take a look inside your mind and ask yourself this question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sam, I really appreciate uh, the call and the many different points you made, and especially your perspective as a member of uh, the Middle Eastern community here in Southeast Michigan and someone who lives in Macomb, which is going to be a battleground, no question, next year in the presidential contest. Uh, Wendy Schiller, I'll give you a chance to to respond to what we heard from both Nicole and from Sam about uh, presidential politics and the connections here in the state of Michigan. Well, I think uh, what we can all take away from the three calls you had is that Michigan is going to be absolutely essential <laughs> and crucial uh, to whoever wins the presidency in 24. And that Michigan is changing, you know, that Michigan is always up for grabs, but that, you know, there are core issues like labor and manufacturing, but there's other issues like tolerance, um, you know, uh, having civil discourse, protecting, you know, all sorts of diversity. Uh, which are really uh, to the forefront in Michigan politics in a way that I'm not sure they were 20 years ago, not only in Michigan, but anywhere else. We've got a very contested, I think, contested Senate race also in 24, which really heightens the attention that we're going to be paying to Michigan. Um, you've got, you know, somebody who's pretty formidable on the Republican side, a couple of people on the Democratic side. And that's going to that's going to matter uh, for turnout and mobilization at every level of political office in 24. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, uh, Wendy Chiller, it is always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Uh, thanks so much for joining us to talk about presidential politics and the labor movement. My pleasure, thanks. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking about politics, but we're going to focus a little more on the way our politics are changing around this ongoing UAW strike. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. It's day 14 of the UAW's strike against the Detroit 3 automakers, and we have been talking about that as well as the Republican presidential primary and the debate that happened yesterday in California between seven Republican hopefuls. We want to hear from you as well during the conversation here on Detroit Today. 14 days, that's a long time if you are one of the people who works for uh, the Detroit 3 automakers who's gone on strike with the UAW. Uh, let us know how that is all going. How are you thinking about the strike now that it's 14 days old? Are you pleased with the negotiations that are taking place? Are you confident still that they will yield the kind of results that you had in mind when the strike started? We want to continue the conversation now and drill a little more into what's at stake in the UAW strike and the presidential politics of it, how they overlap with the issues that are on the table. We had visits in Michigan this week from both President Biden and from Donald Trump, the former president who would like to be president again. How are these strikes uh, affecting warm feelings toward the UAW? Uh, are these courting exercises and gestures by the current president and the former president, uh, are they going to matter? Uh, what, what will that mean both to the strike and to next year's presidential context? And what are some of the possible endings for the UAW strike? To discuss all this, we've got Stephen Greenhouse here. He's a senior fellow at the Century Foundation and, Foundation and author of the book Beaten Down, Worked Up, the Past, Present, and Future of American Labor. He also wrote two pieces in The Guardian about what it means that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are trying to win over UAW members. Uh, Stephen, welcome back to Detroit Today. Great, great to be here. Uh, so uh, Joe Biden is, by most accounts, the first sitting president to join union members on a picket line. He did that this week here in Detroit. How big a deal is that? Put it in some historical context for us. To my mind, it was quite a quite a big deal. You know, he this is the first time I've interviewed many labor historians. They say this is the first time ever a president walked a picket line. We have a history of some very anti-union presidents, uh, you know, um, Grover Cleveland back in 1894, 1894 uh, sent federal troops to break a railroad strike. Harry Truman in 1952 seized the nation's steel mills to, you know, basically you know, overcome a strike by the steelworkers. And, and more recently, and very famously, Ronald Reagan, uh, facing a strike by the nation's air traffic controllers, fired 11,300 air traffic controllers. And generally, when they're not bashing unions, presidents stay very neutral in uh, during strikes. I think Biden felt 
he wanted to make an important statement that, you know, we, the Democratic Party, are no longer the Chablis and Cheese Party. We are the party of workers who are really ready to go down in the trenches and fight with workers to help them get a fair share. And I know that some corporate folks who are unhappy with Biden about this, but I think Biden really thinks that uh, the economy has tilted way too much in the favor of corporations and the rich, while millions of workers are falling behind. And I think he courageously went to the picket line to help right the situation, improve the situation for workers. So uh, the the president's support, as you point out, is is significant because of history. But there's also there's also the, the the current context that he's got to be thinking about here. You say this move could help him politically, but I guess the other side of the argument is that this could all hurt Biden as the strike drags on, and maybe people start to get fired. I mean, already hundreds of workers have lost their jobs in the auto supply side of things, in addition to some workers at Ford. Who's to say this won't hurt him as much as help him as the strikes continue uh, if they go on for a long time? That's a good question. You know, when he appeared on the picket line, he got a ton of press, you know, lead story on, on, you know, 630 News on TV. And I think people remember that Biden went there to stand up with workers. And I think that will resonate, you know, for months, you know, especially in a state like Michigan, where he was in a state with a long labor union history and a state that's, of course, crucial for the 2024 election. But but you're right that if the strike drags on for months, if it's seen as pushing the economy into recession, people might say um, that Biden hooked his start to this unfortunate situation. I, I think people will you know, won't blame Biden so much for that. I think they'll end up blaming the union more for that. And we'll tend to remember that Biden stuck his neck out to help workers. But yes, there could definitely be a downside for Biden. And I think, you know, one of the reasons he went to the picket line is he hopes to, you know, put pressure on the automakers to move sooner rather than later to reach a deal. But there's no guarantee that that will work. Yeah. So so I also want to talk about the difference between this Joe Biden, who comes to Detroit and stands with workers on the picket line, and the Joe Biden who signed legislation to block the national U.S. railroad strike last year. Uh, why do you think this label, labor struggle here in Detroit is different from that? What is it that uh, what is it that has the president thinking that the right thing to do here is to stand with the workers? So, uh, not long ago, end of last year, the nation's railroad unions were threatening a nationwide rail strike. And back then, uh, your listeners will remember there was lots of talk that the nation might be slipping into recession. Mm-hmm. And Biden very rationally feared that if there's a big railroad strike. It could really seriously hurt the nation's economy and really give it the heave into recession. And he and his advisors and many people in Congress felt uh, you should use the uh, Railway Labor Act to block a strike. And he did that. And and uh, many presidents have done that. And it, uh, the unions were disappointed. <clears throat> and they were especially disappointed that in, in, in preventing the strike, he did not also... Uh, as part of the law, you know, guarantee that the workers would get paid sick days, which was a, a very, very big part of, of of that fight. But behind the scenes in the months afterwards, the, uh, the Biden administration has really twisted uh, railroad companies' arms to provide paid sick days, and they have. Yeah. 
So, yeah. you know, so the rare, the the auto strike now, you know, will hurt the economy, but not nearly as much as a, as a full railroad strike. And I think in the in the um, UAW strike, it's uh, very easy for the president and 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 many labor people to say that you know, GM, Ford, and Stellantis have record profits, uh, while the workers, according to some studies, have lost 19%, 19% after inflation in their paychecks since 2008, and that CEO salaries have gone way up, and that the, the uh, auto workers really made huge sacrifices you know, in 2008, 2009, to help the auto companies come out of bankruptcy, to help them rebound. And I think to Biden, this was a clear case of you know corporations should do more to help their workers. And yes, you could argue that there are very discrete political benefits in doing this in the great state of Michigan, you know, which he really will need in 2024. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today. Talk to us about last night's presidential debates in California. Republicans, seven Republicans on stage who would like to be president. Also, the visits this week to uh, Detroit by President Biden and former President Trump to rally support for them uh, in the presidential contest next year. Okay, let's talk about Donald Trump and uh, his visit. To, uh, to to Detroit, uh, he was at an auto supplier in Clinton Township. It was a non-unionized shop, but clearly the message that Trump was trying to get across was that he supports workers more than uh, President Biden. Uh, what what is he signaling here? Is it successful? Uh, and is he? Uh, challenging, I guess, the president and the Democrats for the hold that they traditionally have had over over union households. So it's unclear how much uh, Trump's visit on speech in Michigan will help him. It, it's it isn't getting as much press attention as you know the first time a president of the United States walks on picket line, but it has gotten a lot of media attention. I think you know that will help Trump. You know, Trump has a way of promising the sun, the moon, and the stars to workers. I'm going to bring back all the manufacturing. You know, I'm going to bash China. I'm going to, and like, as we saw when he was president, you know, a lot of his promises do not come true. You know, he's, you know, when GM closed down in Lordstown, Ohio, he said, don't worry, we'll, we'll bring something in and, and we'll bring back all the jobs. You know, don't move, don't sell your house. And a company came into where uh, GM Lordstown was, and that was a disaster that went bankrupt. And, um, you know, so despite what Donald Trump promised, the workers really weren't helped. And, you know, to my mind, you know, Trump really isn't telling the truth when he says he's pro-worker. You know, he never, you know, pushed to raise the minimum wage. He uh, rolled back uh, Barack Obama's regulation that would have extended 8 million, uh, overtime uh, pay to 8 million additional workers. He backed national right to, he backed uh, a national right to work law. He opposed the pro-union legislation, the Protecting Right to Organize Act, that would have made it easier for workers to unionize. He, had, you know, he recently attacked Sean Fain, the president of the UAW. He, you know, uh, bitterly attacked uh, Richard Trumka, the late highly regarded president of the AFL-CIO. You know, Trump. You know, he he tells union members, "Don't pay your union dues." And you know, the only person who would say, "Don't pay union dues," is someone who really wants to cripple labor unions. So, for me, it's hard to believe that that Trump is a friend of labor. And, and beyond that, 
and Trump's other main point uh, last night was uh, moving to electrical vehicles will be a disaster for Detroit and a disaster for auto workers and will help China. I think precisely the opposite is true. And Trump just doesn't understand how the global economy works. Biden and, and the auto workers and the automakers see that there's a race worldwide among automakers in Germany and Japan and China that we have to move to electrical vehicles. That's where the world is going. And Trump is trying to slam on the brakes and say, no, no, GM, no Ford, no Slantis, no need to go to electric vehicles. You know, we could stay with gas-powered vehicles. And if Trump gets his way, Detroit will be in last place in developing hmm. uh, electric vehicles. China will be the leader. Japan, Germany will move ahead. And this could be a disaster for Detroit. It could lead to the bankruptcy of the companies if they're in last place in developing EVs. And it could mean layoffs of tens and tens of thousands of, of auto workers. So I think what Trump is saying uh, will be a disaster for the auto workers will mean far, far, far more layoffs than what he says the move to electrical vehicles will be. I should just add, Steve, that yes, it is true that it takes fewer hours of labor to produce an electric vehicle than an internal combustion vehicle. That's true. So on the margins, you know, there will be some reduction in 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 work per 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 car. But you know what Biden is trying to do in subsidizing this shift to electrical vehicles is make sure that the, that the auto industry continues to survive in the United States against fierce foreign competition, because the world is moving to electrical vehicles. And Donald Trump tries to deny it and make believe that's not happening. But it is. Yeah. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Robert in Detroit, you're up next. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Stephen. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. So my question regarded around Donald Trump in 2007, if I'm not mistaken, he said, let the auto industry burn. How has he evolved to 2023? And what does he think that we don't understand that, from my understanding, he hasn't done much for labor? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I'm not sure that he actually, or that that's what he was saying in 2007, uh, you know, Trump has gone back and forth about the auto industry. He was initially for the bailouts, uh, and then once they started, once Obama was elected and and started trying to help the companies restructure, he came out pretty strong against. I think you may be confusing the quote though with Mitt Romney, who uh, of course is a Detroiter and uh, was a presidential candidate who said, uh, you know, let Detroit go broke, essentially, when uh, when the autos ran into trouble. But but I'll let Stephen Greenhouse uh, respond and, and, and talk about this shift and and how he defends, I guess, the record that he actually has on, a, on all of these issues. So, Robert, it's great to have a question like you with a long memory. Um, <laughs> so, so recently, Sean Fain, the president of the United Auto Workers, criticized, he too has a long memory, and he remembers that Donald Trump said back around to, when, in 2016 when he was campaigning that maybe the auto plants in Michigan should move to lower wage states, meaning in the South. And that would have probably meant non-union states. And, you know, if I were uh, a, uh, a resident of Michigan, I would be royally uh, pissed off to hear someone running for president say, oh, these wonderful <laughs> uh, factories in, in Michigan should move to lower wage states and, and you know, leave tens of thousands of people in Michigan unemployed. 
so, you know, I, I don't think, um, I mean, just from the words out of Trump's mouth, he doesn't seem to be a great friend to the auto industry, to auto workers in Michigan. And, and as I said in a speech yesterday, he's promising, you know, uh, you know, we're going to kick China's ass in, 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 in autos. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, China is the world leader now in electrical vehicles, and Biden sees that we got to really uh, move quickly to produce electrical vehicles to catch up. And 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 basically, uh, Trump wants to prevent the electrical vehicle uh, industry from developing in the United States, and that will be a disaster. Not you know, it would be bad for climate, of course, but it'd be bad for the future of GM, Ford, and Stellantis, and be terrible for the future of the UAW and for thousands of auto workers. Who you know? Who you know? Work in the industry and and will lose their jobs if the U.S. falls hopelessly behind in developing uh, electrical vehicles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve, we've only got about a minute and a half left, but I, I would love to get your thumbnail prognostication here. How long does this go, and does the union end up with something better than what was on the table when they went on strike 14 days ago? The, the $64 billion. <laughs> uh, so on one hand, you know, a lot of people say if the UAW could get, you know, a nice raise of 25 or 30% and a cost of living adjustment and a great reduction or enter two tier, it should grab that and declare victory and that would be great. But on the other hand, uh, the union has called for a 32 hour work week, uh, re restoration of jobs bank, return to traditional defined benefit pensions. Mm -hmm. And if the union insists on all those things as well, and I don't, you know, I think this thing could go on for a long time. And I'm sure a lot of wise people out there are, are telling Sean Fain, you know, you can't demand a 40% raise and a 32-hour work week at the same time. And and I, I, you know, my sense is they're definitely waiting for uh, the automakers to come up at least, you know, from the current 20% offer to 25, 30%. And at 30%, if you can get a 30% raise, like that's damn good. And that might be enough, I think, for um, the you know the uh, UAO, UAW to declare victory. You know, UPS uh, uh, and Teamsters. The Teamsters won a huge victory over UPS, mm -hmm. and they didn't win raises of more than twenty percent for for most drivers. So, and they you know had a legitimate victory. And uh, I think you know Sean Fain and the union have to decide what will be a victory and and try to focus on the two or three things they really need to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh Steve Greenhouse, senior fellow at the Century Foundation and author of the book Beaten Down Worked Up. It's always great to have you here on Detroit today. Thanks for joining. Thanks. Good to be here. Going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow. We're going to have more great programming for you here on Detroit Today. Also, if you like the show and enjoy listening, I'll be sharing it with your friends and your relatives, anyone you think would enjoy it and be a good member of the community that we have built here on WDET and Detroit Today. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. The assistant producer for our podcast is Maddie Boyer. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bovian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast.